Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Uh, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to give a big thank you to two groups of people because we had a great week last week. It was Easter. Uh, we saw lots of new faces, which is awesome. Uh, and I just want to thank all the people who volunteered last week. Uh, Good Friday, we had like two or three things going on. Sunday was big. We had extra people doing stuff. If that was you, thank you for being a part of making it a really good Easter here. We heard lots of good stories of the Holy Spirit moving, of lives being changed, people being um, touched by what Jesus was doing. We're really grateful for uh, you doing that. And I want to say a big thank you to everybody who invited somebody, because it takes some guts sometimes to invite people. It takes uh, a little willingness to to place them in our hands and hope that we don't do anything real crazy up here, right? Uh, <laughs> hope that it doesn't get too too uh, out of control for your friends. Uh, but it was just really encouraging to see so many people inviting people, bringing friends, bringing coworkers, bringing family members. Uh, we don't take that lightly. Uh, we really do appreciate and uh, we just counted a privilege when you invite people to come and to be a part of what the Holy Spirit's doing here at our church. So thank you for that. So honesty time. I am an unapologetic lover of romantic comedies. You didn't think I was going there, did you? But that's true. I love chick flicks. You say you complete me and I say, shut up, just shut up. You had me at hello. You say, I'm just a girl standing in front of a guy asking him to love her. And I have beautiful images of Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant standing in front of that iconic blue door in Notting Hill. You say, life is not about the amount of breaths you take, but about the moments that take your breath away. And I am transported back to a time where every Will Smith movie was worth watching at least 10 times, sometimes two or three in a row. And if we're being honest, You've Got Mail might be my favorite chick flick. And no, people, it is not the same as Sleepless in Seattle. There are very different plot twists in that movie. Very, very different. You might have the same main characters, but everything else is completely unique to that movie. Julia, or sorry, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, standing in that park in the middle of New York City. Meg Ryan looks at him and she says, I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. And every single time, tears come streaming down. I am in for the whole thing. I am a sucker for happy endings. I love them. They are fantastic. They are always worth it. Are they cheesy? Yes. Are they always worth the cry? Yes, they are. Every single time. And I blame most of this on the fact that I am a, a child of the Disney generation and they have ruined me. Disney did this to me. Lion King, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and on and on and on it goes. That's what did this to me from a very young age. A couple of years ago, Disney decided to change up their uh, fireworks show at the end of the day in Disney World. Every day they have them as they're closing down. And they changed it and they titled it Happily Ever After. Here's what they say as they begin. 
and they all lived happily ever after. Each of us has a dream, a heart's desire. It calls to us, and when we're brave enough to listen and bold enough to pursue, that dream will lead us on a journey to discover who we are meant to be. All we have to do is look inside our hearts and unlock the magic within. Very Disney-esque statement right there, right? And then they take you on this 15-minute joyride through all of your favorite moments in the movies with clips and lines and, of course, the songs that we can all sing along to even if we don't want to admit that we can. I say Akuna Matata, and it's stuck in your head for the next day. You're welcome. And it ends with this. Grab a hold of your dreams and make them come true. For you are the key to unlocking your own magic. Now go, let your dreams guide you. Reach out and find your own happily ever after. Of course, the thing that Disney doesn't tell us is that that's not really true in the least. But happily ever afters are not as common as Disney would like us to believe or as your favorite scripted romantic comedy would lead you to believe. They're not typical, at least in that sort of way. Life is way too unpredictable for that. There's too many variables, and it just unfortunately doesn't always end in that park in New York City. But there is a happily ever after for us, and that's what we're going to be jumping into as we start a new series this Sunday that we're going to be going off of, talking about what life is like after the resurrection. Last week, we celebrated the life death, and resurrection of Jesus, and all that it brings. And the day that it changed everything, Jesus coming out of that grave changed everything for us. As N.T. Wright said, the reason that early Christians were so joyful was because they knew that they were living in the first days, the opening days of God's new creation. Easter was the climactic event of history. From then on, everything was different. Happily ever afters are no guarantee in life, but there is a guarantee that life post-resurrection, post-Easter, is dramatically better than life was before Easter. A lot changed on that day, and it's because Jesus is alive, but it's also because he's not here anymore. Wait, what? It's because he left. He tells us in the Gospel of John that it's better that I leave so that I can send the Holy Spirit to come and to be with you. So with that as our jumping off point, that's what we're going to be digging into today and for the next several weeks. Why is life so much better without Jesus actually in the flesh here? Because he could probably preach this better than I can. So why is it better without having him here? What's changed? What's made life so much better for us? Let's pray and then we're going to jump into John chapter 20. Jesus, we just, we do just continue to thank you for what you did. We thank you for your death, uh, for the purpose that it uh, fulfilled, that it wasn't meaningless, but that it was powerful. We thank you for your resurrection, uh, that it didn't end on a cross or in a grave, but that it's continued on. And we thank you that you left because you knew that there was something better still to come. And I pray today that we will be made more aware of what that better is, of how life is better because of the Holy Spirit. Show us your heart in this. 
how you want to change us and to make us into yours. We just say we love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 20, if you have a Bible, feel free to open up there. We're going to be in verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab them. We got them up front. We got them in the back. Feel free to grab one at any time. Here's what it says. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So this is the first time that Jesus shows up and shows himself to all the disciples. And it's kind of creepy. Because they're very clear to tell us that all the doors were locked. All the windows were shuttered. And suddenly, boom, he's there in the middle of them. No warning. He didn't knock on the door. They didn't unlock it and let him in. He just shows up. And then he does something that takes the creepiness to, honestly, a whole another level, if we're being honest. He breathes on them. Now, I don't know about you, but in like the top five things that would scare the junk out of me is a possible ghost breathing on me. That is not okay. That is not a normal move. What is Jesus up to? I heard about a uh, New Testament professor who whenever he would go through this, he would take one of those uh, breath sprays, which I haven't seen in years. I actually thought of this recently. I don't know why, but you know, the, I don't, do they even sell them anymore? The little breath sprays, you know, and minty fresh breath on the go, right? Whatever. Um, and he would spray it and then he would go around and to every person in his class, he would breathe in their face. Now that's like a super invasive and weird move. Uh, so I'm not going to do that today. You're welcome. Um, very uncomfortable uh, if that was happening, if I was watching that go on. I don't know why he did that, but uh, I'm sure his students got the point. This is a strange move that, without a little context, doesn't really make sense to us. But I think C.S. Lewis gives us a great visual as we start to unpack what Jesus is up to here in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Here, Aslan the creator of Narnia, the new savior of Narnia, who has just come back from the grave, he's pointing at something obviously, right? Uh, has gone to the witch's house to bring back to life all of his followers, all of his animals, people, and giants, uh, as well as other magical creatures, uh, who were turned into stone. And here's what it says. Hush, said Susan, Aslan's doing something. And he was indeed, he had bounded up to the stone lion and breathed on him. Oh, Susan, look at the lion, Lucy said. Maybe you've seen someone put a lit match on a newspaper, which is propped up against an unlit fire. For a second, nothing seems to have happened. And then you notice a tiny streak of flame creeping along the edge of the newspaper. It was like that now. For a second, after Aslan had breathed on him, the stone lion looked just the same. And then a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back. 
and then it spread, and the color seemed to lick all over him. And while his hindquarters were still obviously stone, he shook his mane, and all the heavy, stony folds rippled into living hair. And now his legs came to life, and having caught sight of Aslan, he went bounding after him, whimpering with delight, and jumping up to lick his face. John tells us that Jesus breathes on the disciples using something that we wouldn't realize because we're not reading it in the original Greek, but if we were, we would notice that it's the exact same phrase, the exact same wording that we see used in Genesis chapter 2. When God takes Adam, this freshly made man out of dirt and dust somehow, and it says that he breathes life into him. Here, Jesus takes the disciples and he breathes into them and life comes into them. This action of Jesus breathing on the disciples is one of the most God-inspired, God-like actions that Jesus ever did on earth because he's doing something that only the Creator could do. Only God could do this. Only God could breathe life and something would come to life. He's releasing the Holy Spirit. He's releasing life into the world with this action, creation life. So what is this creation life, this new thing that Jesus has just kind of blown, so to speak, into our world? Who is the Holy Spirit? Look at John 16 with me, verse 7, if you have your Bible. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate or comforter or encourager, depending on your translation, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me, because all that belongs to the Father is mine. Advocate, comforter, encourager. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit 26 times in the Gospel of John. He talks about leaving and going to heaven 15 times in the Gospel of John. Almost two to one. If you're not good to math, I can do the ratio for you. Almost two times to one, he says, I'm leaving, but... I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not leaving you on your own behind because it's a good exchange that's happening here. Our communication with Jesus has not been cut off because he's not here. Instead, it's been put on amplifier. It's now reachable for every single one of us because he has sent the Holy Spirit who could be with each and every one of us instead of one person in one spot at one time. We aren't on our own. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And he tells us that the reason that it's such good news is because the Holy Spirit is actively moving in us, forming us, speaking to us, and guiding us. So what is the Holy Spirit up to? What's his job, so to speak? One of his main jobs is probably the 
least fun job that anybody could ever have. And that's to point out all of our sins and then to help us work through it, right? Uh, Not something most of us would probably sign up for. Uh, But he came to convict the world of sin, Jesus says. Galatians 5.16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Breaking the hold that sin has on our lives is a necessary and deeply important part of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We are broken people who need healing, who need to be made whole. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. We call him the Holy Spirit kind of on purpose because he's holy. He's other than, he's, he's different than what we are. When the Spirit is breathed into us through Jesus, the holy begins to unearth the unholy. It literally begins to dig it out, to pull it out, to unroot it, to toss it away. Because holy cannot exist in the same spot that unholy exists. Jesus tells us that the reason for that, that it begins to do that work in us, is because the Holy Spirit, one of his main jobs, is to be connecting us to the life of the Trinity. It's not something that can continue in a space where there's lots and lots of sin. He reminds us of what Jesus has taught us. He shows us the heart, the love of our Father. He deepens the connection that we have to the Trinity in a way that we would never be able to do on our own and in a way that Jesus wouldn't have even been able to do if he was still here on earth. So here's an idea for you. We talk a lot about spiritual formation, about discipleship, about following Jesus and and what that looks like. Here's my thought for you. I think that the most Uh, kind of important primary way that you can be spiritually formed is not through anything that you do. Not through any choices you make, not through any habits that you form. The most important way that you could be spiritually formed is through allowing the Holy Spirit to do in you what Jesus sent him to do. The number one way you can be formed is just simply saying, okay, That's it. And I've been noticing this truth in my life recently. Because real talk time, sometimes when I have one of those bad encounters, you know, maybe it's somebody cuts me off, maybe somebody tells me something that I think is a little too critical, Uh, maybe somebody does something that just really pushes one of my many buttons. You know what my natural response is to do? I just like to sit in it. Anybody else actually do that a little bit? You just kind of want to dig into it a little bit sometimes to be like, yes, this negative headspace, this is kind of where I want to be right now. I want nothing to do with empathy right now. I want nothing to do with loving this person or understanding that they're having a bad day too, blah, 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 blah. I just want to sit here and get comfy in this nasty headspace. Thankfully, I've been spiritually formed a little bit. And so when that starts to happen... I've been noticing that there, I kind of quickly come to this fork in the road, to an opportunity where the Holy Spirit's nudging and saying basically like, you know you have two choices, which one are you going to choose? And I found that in those moments, if I just simply say something, and this is going to be the most spiritual prayer you will hear all day, okay, Jesus, help me. 
If I basically say that, and that's really what it comes down to most times when I'm in that headspace because I do not want to actually do it, something starts to happen. And it's kind of crazy because it's not like I'm saying, I'm not working myself up. I'm just simply giving the Holy Spirit space to start to work in me. I'm stepping aside and choosing not to just go down that path. And I've noticed that within a short amount of time, you know what changes? I can actually have a little empathy. I can actually see people in a clearer light. I want to love other people. I don't want to just be bitter and angry and go down that deep, dark path. My heart towards them changes, not because of me, but because the Holy Spirit's working in me. The primary way that we are formed as followers of Jesus is just through allowing him to do what he was sent to do. Last thought from this section of verses. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will tell us about the future. I wondered when I was going to get to that one or if I was just going to skip over it, right? Because it's kind of a weird one. Uh, you might be sitting there thinking, you're like, is he going to start talking about like crystal balls or uh, like weird fortune telling stuff? No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not about peering into a ball and seeing the future. It's simply about the creator of the world sharing with his followers, with people who he loves, what he's up to. It's about the author of all things wanting to show us what he's written down and what he's wanting to do in our lives. That all the things he says that he tells us come from his father. We actually here at the Vineyard believe something that kind of freaks some people out sometimes, but wait for it. We believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And we have a very simple reason for that. Because you're in a relationship with God, right? If you decide to follow Jesus, you're in a relationship. How many of you have a good, healthy relationship where you do not speak to that person at all? Oh, nobody. Yes, exactly. If you are in a relationship with somebody that is healthy, that is deep, that is growing, you're going to speak to them, right? And if they're in a mutual relationship with you, they're going to speak to you too. And it's just that simple. It's not like some big, like James Earl Jones voice. It's just the fact that Jesus loves us, wants to be in a relationship with us. And because of that, he speaks to us. He wants to have a conversation with us, with the one who saved us, with the one who created us, with the one who calls us his children. Let's go back to John 20, 21. It says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Very simple math equation for you. Being a follower of Jesus equals, not even any pluses and minuses, being sent, which equals receiving the Holy Spirit. These three things are not independent of each other at all. They are necessary. They go hand in hand the entire time. John's Gospel spends a lot of time talking about this idea of Jesus being sent from the Father. It tells us that Jesus came down, he was given a, miss, a mission, and that's to connect us to the Father, to teach us a different way of living, a different way of loving, and then he dies. And that was part of his mission too. And when he comes back, 
He sends us. He chooses to send us. And in order for Jesus to carry out his message, the Father had to be working in him, had to be present in him. And now because we are being sent, we have to be connected in to the relationship of the Trinity. It doesn't work any other way. Jesus's mission is now our mission. We have been sent into the world to show people the love of Jesus, to remind them of what he came to do, to show the the inbreaking of the kingdom into our world, which is just a fancy way of saying that Jesus is broken in and that he's changing things. Day by day, step by step, he's changing us and he's changing other things in our world. We point to Jesus, we point to the Father, and we do it through the Holy Spirit. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus sent his followers, and the Holy Spirit is sent to enable us to do what Jesus has sent us to do. By ourselves, we cannot do this. There's absolutely no way. It's not possible. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, by receiving the Holy Spirit, through the creation life that Jesus breathed into our world, we can be sent, and we're supposed to be. So what does this look like? Let's look at the disciples again as they're in that terrified, paranoid space in the upper room. They're sitting there. They're scared. They're not sure what's going on. It says that uh, they've been there for a while. They have all the doors closed and locked, all the windows shuttered. They are terrified of being found. There's probably lots of things that they're really scared of. They're scared of the Jewish leaders finding them because they were seen with Jesus before he was arrested. And then those of them that didn't run away are scared because they were seen with him after he was resurrected, after he was on the cross. They were seen with him. They're terrified about what could happen to them. They don't know what's going to happen. Their whole life's been up, turned upside down, rearranged, and they are scared. Some of them had actually seen Jesus, and honestly, I would bet that the rest of them were kind of scared uh, of that possibility too, because not everybody had seen Jesus. I'm, I'm just being honest. If I was one of the ones that had not seen Jesus, I would think that my friends were losing it a little bit. Like, that's a pretty creepy thing to start saying, like, I see dead people. This is sixth sense stuff. Like, it's not going to be a normal thing that you're going to just like naturally be like, oh, I believe you. Yes, of course I believe you. Why wouldn't I believe you? They're terrified right now. They're afraid probably even of Jesus because you know what? They were pretty darn crappy as his followers when he was arrested. Most of them disappeared immediately, never to be seen of until after he came back from the dead. That whole middle space, gone. Those that did go with him, like Peter, rejected him multiple times in front of lots and lots of people. And the rest that actually were at the cross, they would have had a big red X on them from all the Jewish leaders because they knew that those were the people you needed to deal with first. They were scared of what was going to happen. They were, in, they were filled with shame because of how they acted. And then Jesus shows up the room and he immediately says, Peace tells them to calm down, to simmer down a little bit. He says the word that's opposite of fear, that's opposite of shame. But Jesus isn't just telling a group of freaked out people to calm down. 
He's declaring the one single word that will make all paranoia disappear in that moment. He's commanding fear to be completely broken in that space. He's declaring that peace will reign. Imagine what it would be like to be in a room that is filled with paranoia. And immediately when you hear one word said, for it to go immediately to a place of joy. The power that that word must have brought in that space. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Immediately they go from afraid, from terrified, to filled with joy. And then they're sent. This encounter and the new life that they were experiencing through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, transformed, as G.E. Ladd said, the disciples from a terrified, hopeless, disappointed band to the bold preachers of Jesus we see at the day of Pentecost and beyond. So worship team comes up and begins to play. This can be our reality too. This is what is offered to us through Jesus' resurrection. We have been given an opportunity to participate in the relationship of the Trinity and to experience the change that Jesus came to bring. So friends, do you want to experience that today? Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to be formed spiritually by simply just allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to move in your heart? Do you want to be healed and made whole in his presence? Do you want to communicate with God and not just talk about God? Do you want to go from terrified to sent this morning? Stand with me. I'm going to mix up the order of things a little bit this morning. So I want to invite the prayer team to come up. And here's what I want to do before we begin to sing. If you this morning are sitting here and you're saying, yes, I want that. I want the Holy Spirit to come. Nobody's going to breathe in your face, I promise. Well, they better not. Otherwise, I'll be talking to them afterwards. (laughs) That is not going to be what's happened. But I want to invite you to receive the Holy Spirit this morning. It's not a one-time thing. It's a process of constantly being filled. Let's pray, and then I'm going to invite a few of you to come up. The prayer team wants to come up too. Holy Spirit, we just right now say come. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and to begin to work here in us right now. We want to be sent by you. We want to be transformed. We don't want to live our lives in fear anxious over what's next, never able to live out the things that you've called us to live out. So we ask for you to come. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will just come and just make yourself really obvious to us this morning. Give us peace in knowing that you're here. God, you know our hearts you know where we are more than we're probably even willing to admit. And so I ask just in the middle of wherever we are at, whatever we're feeling, whatever we're going through, 
the truth of our hearts, that you, Holy Spirit, will come. Heal us. Transform us. Bring joy where we haven't known joy in a long time. Bring peace. We want more of you, Jesus. We want that that new creation life to be our reality. So we ask for you to come.